Hey everyone, today's episode is on the great saint and doctor of the church, Saint Hildegard of Bingen. We will open this episode with a few stories from her life, and then we will discuss her biography, her mysticism, her visions, her medicine, her music, all of it. Such an incredible and rich saint. Also, if you'd like more bonus content on Hildegard, as well as a massive archive of hundreds of posts, bonus episodes, prayers, blessings, and more, please consider checking out the Patreon. Or if you'd like to support me in other ways, simply follow me on social media, share St. Anthony's Tongue with a friend, or leave us a good review on wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy. Before her bones were even fully formed, Hildegard could see visions of God. These visions contained a light that would radiate from her soul and the soul of all beings. It would shoot straight up to the heavens where now in God's hands, the soul would radiate outward like a magnificent tree whose canopy could envelop the whole world. The branches of this soul would spread far and wide and they are connected to everyone. Your branches connected to mine, mine to yours, as well as the essences of the plants, animals, and all of God's creation. All of our souls like trees create a lush forest, an ecosystem of divine love, all interconnected, all one. One morning as young Hildegard was playing in her room, her nanny came in to ask her to wash up for dinner. During that brief exchange, Hildegard had yet another one of these visions the room being transformed into a light in which brightness shone from both her and her nanny, traveling up like a beacon and spreading forth throughout the room and in her mind's eye throughout the whole world. It was plain as day. It was occurring right in front of her. The light was shining forth from both her and her nanny, but on top of this vision, there was a faint sound of music a celestial song as sweet as she had ever heard. Trying to remain calm, she finally asked, Do you see that? See what? You can't see the bright light? Come on, Hildegard, it's time for dinner. The room looks perfectly normal to me. Now let's go. It was from this moment that Hildegard would later recount that she felt she must never share these visions with anyone, as they are too precious and too peculiar to let out. Hildegard would eventually share them with her mentor, Juta, the abbess of the monastery that raised her. And then later, a vision from God would not only tell her to embrace the visions, but command her to write them down and share them with the world teach everyone about God's methods, God's ways, and his lush sense of interconnection. This is another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue, and this is St. Hildegard von Bingen.
In her small cell, Hildegard knelt on the stone floor. Her eyes were looking ahead with her hands clasped tightly. She felt it coming. Another warm embrace of the Holy Spirit. Another transcendence of her senses. Lights, flashes, shapes, and colors. In fact, the desk behind her contained piles of drawings, sketches, and paintings, all depicting what Hildegard had seen in these visions. But this time it wasn't the shapes. It wasn't the light at the forefront. This time it was sound, angelic sound. What is this, she thought, as she felt the hot dripping wax of the spirit fill her mind. And a voice answered her question. Before the fall of man, all language was celestial song. In heaven, everything is sung. Everything is what you would call music. Mankind now in this state has recreated this celestial song in small ways. What you call music, though, is only a fraction of the celestial song of praise in heaven. For its true essence, you simply cannot fathom. But my daughter, write down what you hear. What I am showing you is a small taste a small sound of the divine songs of heaven. Music then filled Hildegard's ears, but also her eyes. She could see the sounds, the colors, the shapes, all part of God's celestial song. The only creature that cannot sing, the voice whispered, is the devil himself. Teach others to sing for me, and sing together to lift up the entire cosmos, all of creation back to me. With a monochord in hand and paper at her side, Hildegard von Bingen composed her first work. Hildegard shied away from her fame as a preacher, writer, and prophet. Her visions were becoming known as well as her music. Though she still felt most home while alone in the presence of God and God only. But with Hildegard, she knew she was never really alone. She saw her beloved in the trees and the clouds, and also the dirty dishwater and the manure she used to fertilize her garden. Speaking of the garden, that's where she was that day, tending to her herbs and her plants and her stark black Benedictine habit on her knees. She was pulling fennel, watering carrots. And when she was about to rise up, she noticed two shoes standing in front of her. Hildegard rose to see a novice nun. Yes, she asked. The nun was shy and rarely spoke. So to go and find Hildegard, now the abbotess of the monastery, and interrupt her gardening, Hildegard knew something was going on. It's Sister Celestine, Mother Hildegard. We are all worried that the other sisters don't want to bother you, but we also don't know what to do. Her fever still is not broken, she has not slept, she isn't eating. Hildegard nodded and smiled. 
before unexpectedly shoving a pair of shears and a rake in the hands of the young nun. We will need fennel, willow sweet and yarrow, also a bucket of cold water from the well and a bowl of boiling water right off the fire. Meet me in Sister Celestine's room as soon as you have them. And then Hildegard walked away as the bewildered young nun searched the gardens for the right ingredients. A fever is very common, but it can also be very dangerous, Hildegard started as she sat at a small table, cutting herbs and wrapping them in twine. Fever is most often caused by an imbalance, and it can be an imbalance of any kind. Too much work, not enough rest. Too much rest, not enough work. One could have prayed too little, or one could have mortified the flesh too much until the body became ill. Both willow sweet and yarrow will start to bring the body back to a state of balance. Specifically, imbalances caused by fever. These two plants will remove the fever fairly quickly. Hildegard then took a sprig of willow sweet, yarrow, and fennel and threw it into a pot of hot water while making the sign of the cross and whispering a prayer above it. The young novice, meanwhile, placed a sponge of cold water on the head of the frail and sickly Sister Celestine. And the fennel, the young nun asked. Melancholy, Hildegard replied. All illness comes with melancholy. Devil loves to sneak in when we are sick, making us feel hopeless, making us want to denounce God in our final moments. Fennel brings forth balance, while also scaring away the tricks of the devil. The two women, the abbotess and the novice, now as a team, lifted up Sister Celestine and assisted her in drinking a cup of willow-sweet yarrow and fennel tea, guiding the cup to her face, cleaning up the dribbles from her chin. What now? the young nun asked. Now we pray. Hildegard then placed her hands on top of the sick nun's head, which was cold and sweaty, and her skin pale. Hildegard lifted her eyes upward and aloud. She called upon the Trinity, as well as the saints. She called upon St. Benedict and St. Scholastica, the two patrons of her order. She called upon the wisdom of the Father, the mercy of the Son, and the energy of the Holy Spirit. Then, along with the young nun, they sang their afternoon psalms together at the bed of Sister Celestine. And as they sang, the color slowly came back into her face. And come Compline, Sister Celestine wasn't only cured, but she sang along with her sisters, singing a celestial song of God. For a woman in the Middle Ages, Hildegard had led an amazing life, both in action, but also longevity. Her visions were accepted by popes, kings, and clergy. She was a noted healer, respected for her cures and knowledge. She was also an artist, a composer. But most of all, she was a spiritual mother to her nuns, all of whom grew so much closer to God hearing the visions, the music, and the teachings of their great abbotess. And now, in her 80s, this life was coming to an end. 
Hildegard laid in her bed surrounded by her sisters. They sang their holy office around her bed tearfully, each one being touched by the sanctity of this woman. Hildegard was peaceful, she was content, and was fully ready to walk alongside her father in heaven and to now fully hear the celestial song that she was so grateful to be given only a fraction of. And on the night of September 17th, 1179, surrounded by her sisters as they sung Compline prayers, Hildegard took her last breath. But it wasn't the breath that was unique, but the light. For right in the center of her chest, a light shone forth like a tree that traveled straight upwards, whose canopy reached out amongst the horizon and shone forth not only on the monastery, but as far as the eye could see. And as if she was a little child again, asking her nanny and her parents' estate, a voice could be felt amongst the sisters asking, do you see that? And this time, this time, they could. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I am your host, W. So St. Hildegard of Bingen is one of the most influential and beloved saints of all time. And there's many reasons for that. First, she was a mystic, and I feel like we are always drawn to the mystical. That's just something that naturally brings everyone in. When we hear someone can experience reality differently than the rest, especially experience God differently than the rest. She's also very appealing because she was also a healer. Despite being around in the Middle Ages, she wrote over 8,000 herbal cures that also include stones or what we would now call crystals, and also, she was a bit of a rebel. She was very outspoken. She was not afraid to call out corruption within both clergy and the Catholic Church, but also kings and queens and the royals too. And also, despite being a woman in the Middle Ages, she was able to preach and able to send letters and to be very vocal and her desires. And that's why many people are drawn to this incredible saint, not to mention the artwork that comes from her prophetic visions and the music that also came from her prophetic visions. So a really interesting saint. So I'm excited to jump in and discuss her today. We're going to start with kind of just a timeline overview, and then let's jump into her visions 
her music, her medicine, and more. So Hildegard was born in 1098 in what is now Germany. And she was born to noble parents. She was one of 10 children, and she was given away to a Benedictine monastery at the age of eight. And that might seem very odd and bizarre. However, having a child be raised in a monastery was actually very common in the Middle Ages. Sometimes it was just for education and spiritual formation, but oftentimes a large family would, in a way, almost tithe a child to the church by having them join a major religious order or monastery in the community. And that's what her parents did at the age of eight. And she was put under the care of a teenage nun named Juta, who was probably eight years or so older than Hildegard. So she was probably 16 or so at the time. And Juta was a very charismatic and well-liked nun. And she's also what is called an anchoress. And this is essentially a religious brother or sister who lives as a hermit, but still lives within the grounds of the monastery. They are seen as an anchor to the word of God. So they more so have a stricter code of asceticism as well as contemplative prayer. And this is going to play out from individual to individual as well as well as order to order. It's all going to look different. So Juta would remain cloistered in a small room and she would have her meals brought to her. She also likely had the Eucharist brought to her and she spent most of her life in contemplation. But she was not fully secluded because despite being this anchoress, she also would tutor many local children and then she would actually later become the abbess of the monastery. And also if we look at Hildegard, which we will hear soon, Hildegard was known for her talents of speaking, of prayer, of music, and being outspoken. She was pretty educated for a medieval woman in a monastery coming in at eight years old. So it's safe to say that Hildegard's talents were mirroring all of this she learned from the influential Juta. Juta would pass away in 1136, and she would specifically request that Hildegard be her successor in becoming abbess of the monastery. So before Judah's death, though, Hildegard revealed that she'd been having these visions from a very young age. And this was the vision type that I described in the opening story. The main vision was just full of light in the light traveling in many ways. And then later in life, so after Judah's death, during another one of her visions, God actually commanded Hildegard to write the visions down, to explain them, to even do commentary on them. And then Hildegard wrote various books, which we'll get into, but they cover her visions. And she also wrote books on healing and herbal medicine too. She was also a composer and even a playwright. She wrote a morality play is what it's called, but essentially it's a play that churches or monasteries do for the community to spotlight certain virtues and vices. So she would actually often clash with clergy and bishops for many things. First, she was just outspoken. So remember when God commanded her to talk about her visions, he also commanded her to preach and be outspoken 
And some of these visions had to do with corruption in the church. So she was very outspoken about her visions, but also the visions that talk about how the church was becoming more corrupt. And this led to backlash. But she even had papal approval to continue writing and speaking and preaching, especially about the corruption. And then she would pass away at the age of 81 in 1179. And it wasn't until a few hundred years later that her works would start becoming marginally popular. They remained in the monastery for many, many years. So she was one of the first figures to be put under the newly established canonization process. So prior to the 16th century, to become a saint was kind of at the Pope's discretion or even at the local customary discretion. So 16th century was when we actually had the process of a miracle and then another miracle and then going through the steps. So she was put in this process. She was one of the first ones that the people and even the clergy and the bishops wanted, but after four attempts, she didn't meet the criteria. So she would remain in this servant of God category actually until 2012. But before that, in the 1980s, John Paul II wrote about her a decent bit, and he even called her a saint, but also venerable too, kind of hinting that she's more than a servant of God. But Pope Benedict XVI in 2012 declared her a saint through what is called equivalent canonization. And this simply means that her life, her miracles, and her incredible body of work makes her worthy of sainthood. And then later in 2012, Benedict would declare her a doctor of the church. So now she joins Teresa of Avila, Catherine of Siena, and Therese of Lisieux as the only female doctors of the church. If you're unfamiliar what, with what a doctor of the church means, essentially it is the church saying that this person's writings, their life, their beliefs are essential, important, and really almost necessary to a person's faith and their formation. So essentially saying that their philosophy and what they taught is something the church really endorses, and it's something that everyone can learn from. So what are these mystical visions? What are these writings that the church endorses, but many other people have loved Christian, non-Christian, Catholic, non-Catholic? So let's talk about her visions and her mysticism. Hildegard claimed, as I said, she had visions from a young age, but she didn't tell anyone until telling her mentor, Juta. And what's interesting about her visions compared to, let's say, a Catherine of Siena or even a Teresa of Avila, when they would have these visions, they would go into a state of ecstasy. And if you have listened to the Teresa of Avila episode, we kind of discuss what rapture and ecstasy is in kind of the stages. And according to Teresa, she would say that in that state, you kind of lose your senses. You lose almost your will as well, and God is completely in control. You would see this in Catherine of Siena as well during Dialogues, who was about 100 years after Hildegard. In her dialogue, she would mention the same thing. She would completely lose consciousness to an extent, and out would come the words of God speaking through her. But Hildegard was different. She would see these things right in front of her as an everyday occurrence. And it was not a state of ecstasy. She was very much in control of herself when she would see these things. 
And it was often light. It was often light, but it was protruding from things and connecting things together. And it was almost like a kaleidoscope of colors. And also there would be music and so forth as well. And then later, the visions became more profound, more abstract, more symbolic. And as we discussed one night in prayer, God told her to write down the visions, as well as an exegesis, an explanation on what they mean. And most importantly, God encouraged Hildegard to preach about these visions. And this calling from God became her visionary work, Sivius, which contains 26 of her visions and their meanings. And I'm not going to go through all 26, but the key themes include God and the interconnectedness of all creation, which is a very beautiful topic. She called it the greening of creation, which we'll get into a little bit today and a lot a bit next week. She discussed the fall of man and Satan, Trinity, as this radiant circle of love, which is also really interesting because later scholars such as Bonaventure and even Thomas Aquinas would discuss the Trinity too as this circle, this microcosm. And she also discussed the church as a nurturing mother, though later she would also have apocalyptic visions of the church as this haggard mother giving birth to demons, which was a warning vision speaking of the corruption of the church. And she also had visions on virtues, vices, the end times, and the reason behind the incarnation, death, and resurrection. And remember, God told her to preach so she was already a well-loved, charismatic abbess, but now with her preaching, she was gaining quite the following. But remember, some of these visions were about corruption. So this would upset a lot of bishops and clergy. She would write to Bernard of Clairvaux. Now, we have not spoken about Bernard yet. Bernard, though, was a very fascinating mystic. He was kind of the Pope's right-hand man, but many would say that he was more influential than the Pope himself. He was a big reformer. He would go around from monastery to monastery. Very, very influential. So she wrote to Bernard about her visions, about what she was describing, and really saying, is this harming the church? Is this harming my relationship with God to continue doing this? And Bernard wrote back saying, yes, this is important, continue your writing, continuing, continue your preaching. And the Pope would also back that up. Now, this is really fascinating because we actually have a letter between two of the church's most esteemed doctors, but also esteemed mystics. And as we've been doing in this series, the second episode is usually full of the saints' mysticism, but we're going to talk about a few key themes here because there's so much. I would say the first is Hildegard's holistic understanding of creation. And we've kind of hinted at that already. But she had a deep appreciation for all of the interconnectedness. She saw the divine reflected in every aspect of the natural world. And she believed in this unity of the spiritual and material realms. So this holistic view of reality embraced the harmony between the physical, emotional, and spiritual. And this is best seen in her concept of greening. And this is her understanding that there is this life force, this Holy Spirit, this breath of God working through all of us that is also connecting us. And there's a lot we're going to say here next week because this ties into so much. This ties into 
Bonaventure's theology of history. This ties into Ratzinger's cosmic liturgy. There's so much, but this also would tie into my nature mysticism series I did a few weeks ago, if you haven't checked that out. So there's just this concept of the interconnectedness of everything. And again, this might sound new agey or too Eastern. You do not really hear about how we're all connected very much in Christianity. But no, this is a Catholic doctor of the church. So this concept is not only approved, but it is recommended. And there's a lot we're going to say here next week, so we do not want to spend too much time on it. But this goes back to a lot. This goes back to the cosmic priesthood we discussed previously. It also goes to St. Paul's mystical body of Christ, how we are all one body. Another aspect of Hildegard that is very appealing to many is her feminine spirituality. So Hildegard embraced a profound appreciation for the feminine aspects of all of spirituality. So she recognized what you could call the divine feminine within the context of God's creation. Particularly, she saw this through the personification of the Virgin Mary and also the nurturing qualities of the church. So Hildegard's visions often celebrated feminine attributes of nurturing, compassion, intuitive wisdom. I will say, though, most mystics talk about this. Most mystics discuss God as nurturing, God as a mother. Many quote the Song of Songs, which talk about God either as the bride or the groom. Similarly, drinking from the side wound. Similarly, um, Francis de Sales, Bernard of Clairvaux discuss how God is a mother birthing things. So this is a common thread that I think many people don't realize how often God is described as motherly and feminine throughout the Bible and throughout church theology and mysticism. Though again, we'll get into it later, but God is everything, masculine, feminine, neither as well. But Hildegard is best known for really encapsulating and building upon the tradition of St. Augustine, of the current Bernard of Clairvaux, to talk about God being a mother of sorts. And then also, which I think is fascinating, but you see it with other mystics too, is just her social and spiritual critique. She was known for her outspoken nature and her willingness to challenge authorities, but also secular society. Her mysticism was not confined to her visions. It certainly was not confined to her monastery. It was confined to the whole world. It wasn't confined to anything because remember her whole mystical vision and her whole philosophy was about the interconnectedness. Therefore, it's also action oriented. It's about speaking out against corruption, abuses of power, advocating for reform, return to moral integrity. So her mysticism is very profound. She's written many books, many volumes, I think eight books in total, including three on what we'll get to in a moment, which is her medicine and healing. But there's a lot here. Next week, we're really going to dive into it more completely. But to recap, it's this holistic understanding of creation. Her viewpoint of spirituality in a feminine lens, as in birthing, nurturing, love, which I think is beautiful. 
And then being a mystic that also incorporates a social and spiritual critique, which you also see in Catherine of Siena, you also see in Teresa of Avila, which we've talked about earlier in this podcast. But let's talk about the healing aspects. So if it wasn't enough to be an outspoken visionary and prophetess, she was also a healer. She has written over 8,000 herbal cures in two volumes of books. And now she was just one woman living in a monastery. She didn't have labs. She did not have test subjects to do massive experiments. So this is largely believed that her cures were given to her in her visions. I wouldn't even say largely believed. She kind of says that. And also trial and error too. So she did heal and provide medicine for her sisters and also locals in the area. And this goes back again to the greening of interconnectedness in her spirituality. So creatures, plants, and humans are all connected. Therefore, of course, God's creation can help heal us. She also put a lot of emphasis on imbalances. So spiritual, physical, and mental. And she would say that these imbalances created illness and certain herbs would assist in curing that imbalance. So here are a few of her best-known remedies. So again, her books are vast, over 8,000, just a few though. So rose, she often spoke about rose and valued it for its medicinal properties, particularly in heart and digestive related issues. She believed that rose could strengthen the heart and improve overall well-being. You also see a lot about fennel. And fennel was highly regarded by Hildegard for its digestive benefits, but also a calming effect on the body. She said it would alleviate melancholy and alleviate, I guess you could say, the demon of sadness, if you want to go that route. Also, St. John's wort. So Hildegard recognized the healing properties of St. John's wort, and particularly in treating mental and emotional conditions. Also melancholy, anxiety, depression too. And if you've listened to my St. John the Baptist episode from last year, we get into St. John's wort there too. This was kind of an herb that has been used for many kind of healing and cures for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, the next is chamomile. So she appreciated chamomile for its calming and soothing effects as we use it today, but also skin irritations too. Sage was another. She used that for treating infections, but also memory. So being able to memorize scripture and psalms, she would recommend sage. And then lavender as we use it today, also for relaxation, but also relieving headaches too. And surprisingly, Hildegard also recommended the healing power of stones, which we would call crystals today, not all crystals that people say are crystals or crystals, but she did recommend these as well. She would say that amethyst had a purifying and calming effect, and it would help support headaches, mental clarity, and overall spiritual development. Emerald was another. She said it had a power to heal and strengthen the eyes, as well as improving memory. Jasper was another. Depending on its color, though, red jasper, she said, could enhance circulation. Green jasper was associated with promoting digestive health. Onyx was another. She saw this as 
a protective stone that could shield against negative energy. She also said it could aid in alleviating stress. So this might sound antithetical to Christian and Catholic beliefs. I really wouldn't say it is. So this was a common medieval practice to use stones for healing. As far as our crystals demonic or anything foolish no um, this would be in the same instance as using fennel for digestive health it was medicinal not spiritual today we've made all of this one big circle thing but yeah so she was a big fan of crystals for healing so what a typical hildegard session look like for healing we don't really know but just kind of looking at the common themes in all of her cures and so on. Most often it would be a tea that was made with the herb for the specific ailment, maybe even using a few together, a cold or a warm compress, but also laying on hands and prayer. So laying of hands was very common. Of course, there's biblical elements to that as well as non-Christian elements. You could call back to laying of hands healing ministry, the Holy Spirit, a gift of the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth. So we aren't sure which prayers would have been said for laying of hands and prayer. It may have been a prayer from the heart. Many nuns were not literate, but given that it was a Benedictine monastery, the nuns would know um, at least some of the Psalms and Liturgy of the Hours. So it was also likely that a healing prayer could have been passed down by the order, or just have people in the room over the sick person praying the Liturgy of the Hours with them. And yeah, laying of hands too, is it's a very common practice in the medieval times. So it's believed that one can pass on energy from your hands to the person. So we have both crystals and energy healing wrapped up in the writings of St. Hildegard of Bingen. I would say, though, to kind of close out these highlights on Hildegard, I would say the one I'm most personally fascinated with is her connection with music. So it said she composed over 77 pieces of music, and her compositions were mostly for the voice. It was mostly for music. She likely did compose with a monochord, which is kind of this rustic harp-type instrument. And to me, this is the most fascinating, or at least one of the most, because she saw in her visions that prior to the fall, all of creation used to sing this celestial song to God. And we as humans, we can't fathom what this is. So it's something, but it's even deeper than what we call music. It's more beautiful than what we call music. So imagine music, but beyond what we can comprehend. We can't fathom it. But we were still able to collect remnants of the celestial song, and it's what we now call music. So she would say, as we discussed, the only creature that cannot partake in music of any kind is the devil. And the music that she wrote is what she heard from God in her visions. So Hildegard's music is actually meant to be the best replications that we have of the celestial songs that are currently being sung in heaven. So how do we connect with St. Hildegard? Her feast day is September 17th. She is the patron of musicians and writers, but I think we can pull a lot from her story. Mystics, 
visionaries. Uh, maybe you need help speaking the truth and speaking out against corruption because she did that. Maybe even orphans, someone who was given up at a young age to another family. I also think just any kind of woman mystic or anyone who is simply looking for further union with God. Also healers, too. That would be a good one. So what about novena suggestions? I would suggest something very simple because she was a very simple nun. So to me, it's finding the novena prayer you like, of course, finding a candle and an image. But sit and listen to her music and maybe even journal about what's reaching out to you and speaking to you. I'd also incorporate Saints Benedict and Scholastica because they were both dear to Hildegard. Sometimes in novenas, it's nice to incorporate other saints that might have a tie to the main saint you are praying to. So that would just look like doing your novena and before it's over, saying a quick prayer to Benedict and Scholastica from the heart or reading a pre-written prayer. It doesn't matter, whatever speaks to you. So next week, we will dive a little more deeply into Hildegard, discuss her thought, discuss her concepts of the greening of creation and how she saw all of us are connected and connected with God. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in next week. God bless you.